Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on January 9th, 2022, on the basis of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Join me in a prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you think that there is anyone in the world, it's a lot of people, right, that that think that a heart, a human heart, actually looks like this? Maybe I just shattered your world. Maybe you thought that a human heart looked like this. And, and if you ran across somebody who, who thought a human heart looked like this, yes, you could make fun of them, and you probably would be justified in, in doing so. But let's just hold on for a second. Maybe every experience that they've ever had in their entire life has led them to believe that a human heart looks like this, like the Valentine's Day heart. Maybe that same person, when when they wanted to express their love to somebody in a text message, they went into their emoji section, and guess what they found? They found a heart that looked just like this. Maybe every experience in their life has, has showed them that this is what a human heart looks like. Now, obviously, you don't want that person operating on you. And, and they probably haven't taken an anatomy class, and, and, and if they have, they, they weren't paying attention in that anatomy class. But, but the point is this, because they haven't seen something either live, right, or in a picture, it, it's been veiled from them. The appearance of what a heart actually looks like has been veiled from them. Now, this, this very silly illustration is, is meant to say it's hard to see the heart, Physically speaking, right, uh, since doctors are able to get in there and take pictures, we know what a heart looks like, but, but how about spiritually? Can we see a heart? Sometimes we think we can. Sometimes we like to think that we, we can, but we can't. God says we, we cannot see the heart. Only God can see the heart. And in our section from 1 Samuel chapter 16 today, that's, that's kind of what Samuel's struggling with a little bit. Um, he, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He, he thinks that, that he knows who the next king of Israel will be by his appearance, but God sees more than that. He sees a heart, and he reveals that heart through an anointing. So when we, when we come across uh, the beginning of this section, we're, we're talking about Samuel, who is a prophet of the Lord, and he has faithfully served the Lord for, for many years. At this point, In his ministry, he's kind of towards the back end of of his ministry. He led Israel before they even had a king in the first place, and he was there when the the very first king was anointed. And and when we meet him in this section, he's not doing so hot. Samuel is grieving, he is mourning over King Saul. But not because Saul's dead, Saul is very much alive. But he is mourning over King Saul because King Saul has rejected the Lord. King Saul has gone his own way 
And Samuel, since he has been around long enough, remembers a time when, when, when Saul was not like that. Now, Samuel was there when Saul was anointed. And when Saul was first anointed as king, we see him hiding because he is, is so humble, he's scared. He, he, he knows that this is a big responsibility that they're a- asking of him. Uh, and he had a lot of humility in those days. But, but not anymore. Time in power had corrupted Saul. Saul was now prideful. Saul was now power hungry. Saul was, as we would say, big in his own eyes. And he had rejected the way of the Lord, and in turn, the Lord had rejected him as king over Israel. So the Lord had in mind a new king for Israel. And he he called Samuel to be the one to go anoint him, to go find him. And, And so he says, Samuel... Go to Bethlehem, find uh, the family of Jesse, because it's from the family of Jesse, from his sons, he had a lot of them, from from his sons that that the next king is going to come. Uh, Samuel goes, he makes the the trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which isn't that far of a trip, even on foot. But you got to imagine, as Samuel is walking the, the road from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, that, that he's kind of questioning the logic here. Uh, even in those days, Bethlehem was, was nothing special. Bethlehem was fairly insignificant as far as the towns in the area, and Jesse's family was not very well known. Uh, but uh, Samuel is a faithful prophet of the Lord. He listens to what the Lord says, and he goes to Bethlehem. And, and when he arrives, he's not greeted with the welcome wagon they're not excited to see him. You, you, you saw that they trembled when he first showed up, which kind of tells you something about how some of these towns viewed prophets, how they received prophets, what the message the prophets were bringing often was. When, when prophets came from town to town or went from town to town, especially Samuel, um, he was typically in town to announce some sort of judgment on the people for the sin that they had committed. And so, so they were scared when Samuel showed up, and he quickly assured them that that's not his purpose for coming. He didn't come to announce judgment on them, but he came to sacrifice. And, and he, he tells the people to consecrate themselves, to sacrifice to the Lord. And after that's done, he turns his attention to Jesse and his household for the very purpose he came there in the first place. And so he, he looks at Jesse's sons, and he starts with the oldest, Makes sense. Starts with Eliab. Now Eliab, by, by any, any human measurement, is, is a big, strong guy. Seems to be fairly attractive looking as far as who's going to be the next king. He would be the one that you would think would be it. And Samuel did. When he saw this guy, Eliab, he said, this would be a great pick to be the next king of, of Israel. In fact, as Samuel's looking at Eliab, you kind of got to imagine that he's having flashbacks to when the first king of Israel was chosen, when Saul was chosen. Saul was not a weak man. He was a towering, big, strong guy. He was very, very healthy. He was an intimidating presence. And generally, people wanted a king like that. They wanted a king who was big and strong like Saul or like Eliab, the king, after all, was going to be the one who led the people into battle. And so you don't want a weak king, 
You want a strong king. You want somebody with an intimidating presence who, who is healthy and, and, and uh, able to fight in, in battle. Really, a lot of things haven't changed as far as that goes today. We, we want strong leaders today, too. There, there's a, a fairly modern example from recent, recent history. Uh, if you can think back to or if you can remember in your, your learning in history, the, the 1960 election was the very first election in the United States that, was, that had a televised presidential debate. And it was between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And the consensus after that presidential debate was that Nixon won. Nixon won the debate by, by any standard measure of a debate. He had more convincing arguments, all of that. Uh, but what, what made the difference was the people being able to see the candidates for the, the first time. And so when they, they saw the candidates, here's what they saw. They saw in John F. Kennedy a, a young, vibrant young man. In Nixon, they saw a haggard and pale man, because at the same time, he was just getting over a cold. And so what historians have concluded from this is the ability to see the presidential debate deeply influenced the election, which John F. Kennedy ended up winning. It influenced the election because people want a strong leader. People operate based on what they can see more than anything else. More than even some logical-sounding arguments, we operate based on what we can see. And so we learn that about our human nature, that we are visual beings, and we tend to trust what we can see. We also tend to interpret our life based on what we can see, which has a lot of different implications here. Uh, and, and so here's a prime example. If, if anybody, whether you were a believer or unbeliever, looked at a believer's life, would they see a life that is better in a worldly sense than anybody else around them? Likely not. A lot of times believers have, to the world, a, a worse life. To any observer, they, they maybe go through more suffering because... Believers have to carry a cross in their life. We learn that from Scripture. We also learn from Scripture that believers have to put up with attacks from the devil. And so if we're merely interpreting things based on what we see, we're going to be missing a lot of stuff. We're going to be operating on limited, sinful human logic and when we operate with limited, sinful human logic, we end up walking down paths that depart from, from God. We end up getting frustrated or angry with God when things don't turn out like we think that they should. We end up doubting God and his, his promises when the things in our, in our world appear to be different than what God has said to us. So, this is kind of the conclusion that we come to. Only trusting in the things that are seen will not get you to a God who is unseen. I'll say that one more time. Only trusting in things that are seen will not get you to a God that is unseen. Samuel is kind of in the same spot as we are. Samuel's a sinful human being that operated with sinful, limited human logic. And so when he looked at, when he looked at uh, Jesse's sons, he thought, 
Eliab seems like the pick who's going to be the king. But the Lord doesn't look at appearances. The Lord looks at the heart. So Eliab was not going to be the next king of Israel. Neither was the next oldest son, Abinadab or Shema or any of the other seven sons that followed after that. But as Samuel is sitting there and he's looking at these sons, he knows that God said to go to the house of Jesse and that the next king would come from the house of Jesse. So he's got to have another son, right? And he asks him, do you have, do you have another son? And, and Jesse says, yeah, we have, I have another son. He, he is out in the fields. This is the, my youngest son. You've got to imagine that Jesse thought this son was not even going to be considered to be king because he was maybe small at the time, maybe really young at the time. And so he wasn't even there when Samuel showed up. But yeah, he's out in the field tending sheep. We'll call for him. So they call for him, and, and nobody sits down until David comes back. And when David shows up, the Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so in the presence of his brothers, in the presence of his family, Samuel grabs the horn of oil, just a little container of oil that they would use, and they would pour it over the head. That was how you anointed someone. Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel, and you notice what it said there. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David would go on to lead Israel. Maybe you know some of David's story. And the Israelites largely would be blessed through David's leadership. In David, the Lord saw what no one else could see. The Lord saw the heart, and the anointing that David had revealed what the Lord saw. If it was up to Samuel, Eliab would have been the next king, but the Lord doesn't look at appearances. The Lord looks at the heart. Generations later, one of David's descendants would, would also be anointed. And kind of like David, he didn't look like much either. He, he certainly didn't look like a king. He looked like just a normal human being. And his anointing was even different than most anointings. His anointing took place in the Jordan River, which was kind of dirty at the time. And his anointing took place by a man who, who wore garments made of goat's hair. <laughs> but at this anointing, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And the Father himself spoke from heaven and said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Of course, David's descendant is, is Jesus. And, and if we would have been operating, and if the people at the time would have been operating based on only what they saw with their eyes, they would have written Jesus off far before any of, of that. In fact, by, by pure vision, John the Baptist looked more attractive than Jesus did. You heard that even in our gospel lesson that some people, even, if, even seeing Jesus, looked at the two of them and thought this, it says the people were waiting expectantly, were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So we can learn something from this, right? And you've probably already drawn this conclusion as we've been talking, but uh, what we see is not always the most reliable 
information. But what we hear from God and his word is always reliable, and it's always true. And so even if Jesus didn't look like much, we can hear the Father's words when he says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus may not have looked like much to, to the people back then, and maybe even to our own estimation today, but we can believe and trust because, Jesus said, or because God says, this is the Son of God in the flesh. And his anointing at his baptism this was an anointing. His anointing revealed that he was truly the Son of God. As the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, as the Father spoke from heaven, here you have the Trinity all in one place, and it is revealed that Jesus truly is the Son of God. He is God in flesh come to earth to save sinners. So we can't always trust what we see with our eyes, but we can trust what God says in his word. That's a pretty good truth for us to take into our, our lives, too. Because as you, you look out into your life, there will be times when things appear visually to be different than what God is promising. When God says he'll be with you, but it maybe doesn't seem like he is. When God says he's working all things out for your good, but, but it maybe doesn't seem like he, he's doing that, or you, you can't really figure out how he is doing that. In those moments, yes, we may be tempted to doubt, but our conclusion from before still stands. Even if we can't trust what we see with our eyes or experience in any other way, we can trust what God says in his word. So when he promises that he is with you always, even if it doesn't look like he is, even if it doesn't feel like he is, he is. If God says that he's going to work everything out for your ultimate good, and you're confused and wondering how that could possibly be the case, you can trust that God is doing that. He is working everything out for your ultimate good. When God says that he will forgive your sins and that he has gone ahead to prepare a place for you, he has. Even when we can't trust what we see with our eyes, we can trust what we receive from God in his word. I have this uh, condition. I don't, maybe you have this condition too. It, it's, it's known by the acronym CRS. Can't remember stuff. <laughs> and, and it comes on pretty quickly, and a lot of times without any warning. But, but one, time, one time in particular it comes out, and it happens every time when we're leaving for a longer trip, it has happened multiple times that we've gotten five to ten minutes away, and then you get it, right? Then you remember what I forgot, and you're still close enough that you, you turn around and you go back to, to go pick that up. That's happened more times than I can, I can count. Now, there's very few treatments for CRS, but one of the treatments or one of the strategies in dealing with this condition is making sure to double-check and triple-check, even taking a few minutes uh, to, to think about those things before you actually leave, it's just to make sure you don't forget something. God does a similar double-check, but it's not because God is forgetful. It's because we are. And so we can trust his word. His word is absolutely reliable, but he has given you even more 
than his word. He has given you his sacraments. Because guess what? He knows that you're a visual being. He knows that you tend to trust what you see with your eyes. And so he has given you something that you can see, that you can touch, that you can taste as a way to deliver to you his grace, his blessing, and his power. That through the bread and the wine, he gives to you his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins and for the eternal life. That through the, the water in, in baptism, he delivers to you a washing of rebirth and renewal. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He forgives your sins. He opens heaven to you. He creates a new person in you. He knows that you trust what you can see, so he has given you things of his grace that you can see, that you can touch, that can give you comfort throughout your, your life because he wants you to be doubly sure that you have received his grace. He wants you to be doubly sure that your sins are forgiven. He wants you to be doubly sure that you're going to be in heaven with him. He wants you to be doubly sure that he loves you. And so he doesn't just say it in his word but he gives you things to show that he loves you. He wants you to be doubly sure, and so he gives you this double check in his, in his sacraments. We're, we're starting the season of Epiphany. I, I introduced that when we, when we started the, the service. And, and so for the next few weeks, we're going to go over different things that God has revealed or, or rather uncovered for us. He has uncovered things for us in his word, things that we couldn't see, things that we couldn't come to, conclusions we couldn't make on our own. He has revealed to us in his word. And so we're going to, to go over these different things that he has uncovered for us. Today, we, we uncovered a few things. We uncovered what the anointings meant. The anointing of David was the first thing we uncovered that even though David looked small and insignificant, even though David looked like a guy that you wouldn't want leading you into battle, that the anointing that he received revealed what God saw in him in his heart. We had uncovered for us who, who Jesus is. Remember, before this, Jesus hadn't started his ministry. He, he was certainly probably an exceptional child, and, and certainly the people in his life knew that he was different than the other people around him. But it was at his baptism that it was revealed, uncovered, for the first time that this is God in the flesh, that this is the Son of God. And today, you had uncovered for you that even if things look different than what God says in his word, that we can trust what God says in his word, and that God has given us extra things to give us comfort and assurance in his sacrament, so that you and I can believe and trust that just as the Father was pleased with the Son, he can say the same thing to you as his child. You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Amen.